This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Good morning. This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast, the leading independent Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined as always by Manchester United legend Paul Parker to talk over... Well, I was going to say a difficult couple of weeks at United. That's what always is in my notes, but it's not. It's just been a very, very surreal time. So, um, obviously, as you know, we've not done any podcast for a couple of weeks. Um, so, yeah, the first thing I want to do, Paul, just check in, see how you're doing. How, how are you? I'm fine, thank you very much. Just looking. For, I never thought I'd ever say this again, but looking for football to get going again. I'm used to stops at an end of a season. We did have a, a blip. You know, quite a few months back, and all of a sudden, I feel like we've had a kind of a another mini blip, and let's hope we can get back going and everything get back on track again because now we're chasing games again, aren't we, to get them out of the way? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. Whether it's a well, a good or bad thing, I, I presume a bad thing because it's never a good thing to have a, a fixture pile up. But um, if you if you're watching live on YouTube, please like and subscribe. If you're listening back on the audio podcast please be sure to review and like, subscribe on the platform you're listening on. Uh, feel free to get your questions and comments in as well if you're watching on YouTube and Facebook. And if you're watching the replay, do feel free to comment. Well, you know, we do still reply to those um, comments. So, yeah, um, you know, this is a channel about Manchester United. Um, I know the monarchy is a divisive subject and, um, you know, the passing of the Queen is an emotive subject for, for everyone. We're not really going to reference that in this podcast because it is time to get back to normal. We've definitely all been saturated with the content um, that we've seen over the sort of like last 10 or 11 days. The only thing that I do want to say is, because obviously we're going to talk about some things from a Manchester United perspective today, I do want to say that grief, for anyone who's watching or listening to this, Grief is obviously a very different human experience because it's such a personal thing. And it's because of that, it's a very private thing. And obviously over the last 10 or 11 days, people have, the public has been confronted with grief almost, you know, it's been very, very public. The, you know, coming out of the back of a pandemic where almost everybody knows somebody who's passed away or experienced death otherwise in the, you know, in any period of time to, to be confronted with grief 
being displayed in such a public way and, and to have it in, in a way that we turn your television on which is meant to be escape from life and to have it there all the time must be very very difficult for a lot of people so um i have put some links in the description to cruise.org.uk and mind.org.uk uh, online resources that might help um, if anyone is suffering because of that because obviously with it being such a personal thing with it being such a confrontational thing um i just thought it was a an obligation to do that and because of the subject matter and because of we're talking about such an emotional time for for a lot of people um and i was a i was at the game on the thursday night against sociedad when the news broke and we were wondering whether it was going to go ahead i wanted to start off with an associated topic paul there've been a few experiences at old trafford over the years where there's been a very strong subdued feeling of grief the first of which neither of us was alive for um the post munich game against sheffield wednesday where obviously it was a very personal intimate strong and tangible grief that was on the stands because um the old trafford crowd was obviously so connected to the busby babes and every everything that happened there um, and you know to come back as it did so soon after um obviously nothing would ever compare to that emotion um but you played in in, in one ever in 1994 which was possibly the next one uh the next big emotional day at Old Trafford in, in this kind of sense I mean obviously there have been different emotional days but that that game against Everton in January 94 was a few days after um, Sir Matt Busby passed away I just wanted to ask what your experiences were playing in a game like that because yeah and we can all remember it we can all remember the haunting um the, you know the, the long bagpiper leading the teams out and the very very surreal atmosphere was so quiet and respectful for for a while and then it became like supercharged like for for a while like the, the atmosphere was incredible like um electric in a certain way not like buzzing but electric <clears> to <throat> the sense of you're there for an occasion um i just want to know what it was like playing in a game like that well it was a bit strange coming out at old trafford and everything being quite somber that was a, a definitely a, a first for me to come out like that at old trafford anyway um, and then to play in a game like that was, I don't know, sometimes you do wonder, you know, if it, if it was talking about something in maybe in today's, in today's world, what's becoming, you wonder whether or not that game would have gone on because there'd have been people maybe demanding that it shouldn't do, I think, yeah. again. <laughs> Thank God the right decision was made because everything that surrounded that was all about football, nothing else. Um, if I, the game itself was, as a Manchester United player, for us it was a, a total annihilation given <laughs> given to Everton. To be perfectly honest, Everton, they just you know they was just the only thing they, they didn't do they didn't just fall on the floor because they was being boxed out of the ring. We just constantly just attacking them, attacking them, and after that game, us you know one of my best mates in football is um, Ian Snowden and, um, and I chatted to him after, after that game directly after that game and he just he used words just to you know his own words but he virtually just said we didn't need that he goes we, 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 we couldn't win that he goes it was just there we just couldn't win it there wasn't enough there for us to really go at that occasion got to Everton players seriously yeah. got to those players they just didn't know what to do and 
you know, and definitely Snowy wasn't saying that as if, oh, you've got that because of this. He was just saying that, that the occasion got to them as well because they're footballers, but <laughs> they're footballers who, some, when a situation like that, you, feel, you do feel like it's one of your own. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, um, um, and, and that fact of it being at Old Trafford as well is just, just said it all really. And, you know, they, they struggled, those Everton players, to get going. Emotionally for yeah. them, it was a seriously, seriously tough game. You played obviously at that point. We had such a strong lead in the league, you know, and you know we were doing so well. We we're playing so well. We're on this long unbeaten run. Is it almost like it's a different game? It's like it's not part of the league because it's an occasion like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it did change it. It did change the dynamics a bit. You you come out and everyone's on a high, and you expect to come out that tunnel, that massive roar, trying to scare the life out of Everton, you know, and Everton. You know, they're still the other half of a of a city that are, that are not keen on Manchester United. Um, oh. And it was it's a big game for them. They'd already been there, I think, in 91, 92 and, you know, smashed, smashed us then. Um, yeah. So, so I just assumed that they come there that time expecting to get something out of the game. I think it was only 1-0 in the end, wasn't it, Wayne? Was that right? Yeah, gigs with the header. Yeah. yeah, it was, and it, it should have been more, but definitely it's one of those. I certainly will never forget that game. I mean, obviously, it's, you know, we've talked about it today, but someone talks to me about a game or anything of what we, you know, what we endured, and, you know, a somber day in football, that is always going to be the, the, you know, that comes in, you know, that comes into my mind, that game, because of everything that was happened previous to what, you know, to the game and what happened after as well. Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, and we did play. It was funny because I think Fergie made a comment after that game um, where he said, like, you know, Busby would have been watching with a wry smile, saying, you know, like United were a bit wasteful with the chances. Um, it was quite funny that Fergie came out and said something like that after because we did play really well. And like I said, I think Cannon missed a couple of great chances as well. Um, did. I mean, they were good efforts, don't get me wrong, but um, I think Fergie is still using a little bit of that um, man management, even in an emotional sense, to sort of say, don't take your eye off the balls, you know what I mean? We still need to keep going. It was it was a, I mean, it, I think the highlights will definitely be on YouTube, so uh, maybe I'll put a link in the in the comments for it. Um, a very, very, very emotional day. Um, we've got a comment from Jay, says, hello guys, hope you're doing well. Morning, Jay, hope you're all right. Um yeah, so I, I guess that leads me into talking about the atmosphere before Sociedad. I, I was there, obviously, you weren't, Paul. Um, and I, I wasn't playing, I was a, a fan in the stands. It was very strange. Um, you know, before, obviously, we went in like a, an hour before kickoff. We, we were on the forecourt when the news broke about the Queen passing away. And it was like, all right, is the game going to go ahead? And then the club sort of text, they sent everyone a text, you know, let's say, oh, the game's going to still go ahead. Um there's going to be a minute silence and all, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, we were there still sat on the forecourt when the flags were lowered and everything like that. It was very surreal um, to go in. And then you go into the game and normally you've got Alan Keegan pumping up the crowd with, um, he's got the pre-match announcements and stuff like that, but there was nothing, there was no, nothing on the hoardings. There was nothing on the, nothing on the, um, you know, the scoreboards or anything like that. Um, no music before kickoff. And normally when United do that, they, they're doing it to, 
you know, they switch off the music like they did before Liverpool or big European games. They do it because it helps to build the atmosphere. But in that occasion, it was sort of like it was, uh, I don't know, it was adding, adding to the eeriness of it, you know, rather than building an atmosphere. It was kind of like what it didn't really know what to do or what to feel that everyone was just kind of there. And I, I guess what I'm going to ask you is about, obviously we lost against Sociedad and I'm wondering, you know, the manager made a few changes. In that kind of situation, Paul, is the atmosphere, do the players have an excuse, is what I'm trying to say? Do you give give them a pass on that one because the atmosphere is so strange? Yeah. Or do you look at the manager and say, no, look, you know, Sociedad controlled the game as you would expect them to do because we made a few changes and we know the problems that we've got when we make a few changes. You know, do we, do we give the players a pass on that because it was such a strange environment for them to play in? Well, we were just talking a minute ago about a game against Everton where United have lost, you know, their great, you know, their greatest ever figure. You know, yeah. and so Matt Busby, and in a way, yes, it affected the players, but everything about it and the way the boss was and the, the boss's talk prior to that game, it lifted everyone anyway because we felt, and you're talking about the boss's comment after the game, if we hadn't performed, he wouldn't have given us a pass on that yeah. one because he would have wanted the performance you know to you know to you know to give to give to Samat so the boss would have demanded a performance um I don't think you can give the players a pass on that um I think you have to maybe look at Ten Hag tried something I didn't I think I said before I, I didn't think it was a wise thing to do to go and make the changes yeah. I didn't think it was right but it's something he has to do because he knows the 11 he wants to pick. I think he knows his 11 and Manchester. Any Manchester United fan could go out and name his 11. Maybe one mistake, maybe at the most. But he, had to, he made changes and he's and he found out a bit more, really, that the team, his success has come from continuity with players around. The majority who he has brought in, they have to be playing. Their focal point in what keep Manchester United going, which the other players bounce off of because of their because of their desire to win games of football and it wasn't there in that social social game. It was lost because of certain styles certain styles changed, um the pattern of play changed because you weren't getting what it was before. And social day jumped off the back of that, I think, um, is that they saw the changes and they just thought, oh, that would do so maybe a little bit of a liberty that they've gone and done that to us and I've done a I done a done a bit for a for a for one of the, um, their main sports paper a couple of days before and and I did and I did turn around and said the thing that worries me is that if United go and make too many changes, Social Dad will take that as a maybe a kick in the teeth and will bounce off the back of that. And I think in the manner in which they played and again it was another team coming to Old Trafford and controlling the ball, it just says mm. that United got it wrong because Social Dad the the league table position didn't really judge how good they were because of the points at that time. I think Real Madrid were top of the league then with 12 and Sociedad had seven, you know, yeah. then played in it. So the gap wasn't that far and Sociedad started okay as well. Suddenly in the latter, you know, just prior to that when they dropped a few points. Yeah. So it's going to be even harder when they go there as well, you know, for Sociedad oh, yeah. to go to do a double over Manchester United. Doesn't matter. Long, 
read it in 30, 40 years' time, that's great reading because people are not going to know the, the levels that United have dropped. So at this present moment, for them to have a double against Manchester United is equivalent to saying a double over Barca and Real Madrid. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, we, you can look at, in hindsight, and not in, even in hindsight, we've seen it before the game, you know, the danger of making too many changes and perhaps given the, the way that he did pick a strong side against um, Sheriff last time, that if he'd had known that the games were going to be postponed, he would have probably picked a stronger side to play against Sociedad. I guess the, the counter response to that is that at some point, some of those players had to come in and you look at McTominay and you see that you know, all right, he's had a really good response to the threat of his position being underplaced. So at some point, you kind of want to give Maguire and Shaw that same chance because we know that they can play at a better level than what they are. But I mean, I guess that what we saw, particularly with Maguire and not wanting to get on his back, is um, the difference, the big difference really between when you start. Not so much with Varane and Lindelof, because I know that Lindelof does sometimes like to come forward, even if he does play the safer ball a lot. But Martinez in particular, Paul, you know, obviously he's forward-facing with the ball. You know, he always looks to play the ball in a positive way. And if you lose that kind of presence from the back line and you've got two defenders who are quite happy to play it safe and then retreat sort of 20 yards with the ball, you're automatically changing the, the system, aren't you? You're really fundamentally changing the way that you play. Well, it is. I mean, you look at look at Martinez and or Martinez. Is it Martinez? Is Martinez or Martinez? Martinez. Yeah. Martinez. Martinez. That's what I'm yeah, going with. You, anyway. Yeah, but you you look at the way, and very rarely that you say a centre half is dynamic, and that's yeah. what he is. It's quite dynamic when he gets on the ball. The midfield players are have, have got the belief that he's going to try and find one of them. The forward players will make a run in belief that. He will see that, and he will, if he believes it's right, try and make try and make that pass. And what he yeah. does do, to be perfectly honest, he overhits it. So at least he's turned them around. And if if he hasn't if he hasn't hit them on the sixpence, then at least at least to get the ball into a positive area, and you might get a throw in or a corner out of it. You know, enough, sometimes nothing worse than someone trying to be two inch perfect, hitting it short. Is taken down off a chest or headed back by head by a defender and bang, there's big gaps in midfield and teams are hitting you on hit breaking breaking through you because of that long ball because long balls open up a field they create space positive but they can be a negative if that ball isn't hit correctly and over hitting as much as sometimes it might go out is always a better ball than under hitting where you might get hit on the counter because there's so much space and he doesn't give too many of those balls away or United don't come out come out badly because of them yeah. because he hits a lot of them early and and I think what you were saying is that if you haven't got him there and you've got a Harry Maguire playing in that team especially on that left side nothing's ever going to move move early it's too much yeah. too unorthodox it looks clumsy trying to kick it forward, especially off his left side. It's never going to come off of his left side because he has got no belief or confident on his left side for someone who has played so many games on his left side. Yeah. Um, so Martinez played against Sheriff. Uh, we we scored two goals in the first half. That was it. You know, very controlled away performance. They're playing away from the home stadium because of uh, conflict. So they've, they're playing in a different environment for themselves. That helps United because, you know, it's a neutral venue. 
Um, they'd obviously had a lot of changes from the team that played against Real Madrid and won against them last year as well, so it wasn't the same team. Still an unknown quantity. United did a professional job. Yes, they could have possibly turned the screw and scored more, but I mean, getting points on the board, doing it in a professional way. Um, it's not like United haven't had... We all remember the road to Volgograd, Paul. <laughs> we went there and you don't know what to expect. Um, not all of us. Some of us, some of us have managed to forget it until you said that. Thanks for that, Mike. But yeah, the point is that these kind of games can be unpredictable. One thing I did like, and we don't really... We've not seen a lot of praise for this, apart from among United fans. So the goal that we scored against Arsenal, the first one under Anthony, if you watch that goal back, you can see there's a um, really good progress with the ball. They move the ball really fast, but they move it from... They try and make an attacking move. They don't find the solution. They go back to the defence, and then they move forward again, and they find the space, they create the space and score the goal. So exactly kind of like the same kind of move that happened with Sancho. A lot of passes in there. They eventually find the space, and Sancho um, uses good feet to... Um, to score. Um, do you think that when we've got that first 11 or as close to the first 11 with all the main players in it, like Ericsson and like Martinez, uh, or Martinez, you may well be right with that. Um, <laughs> do, do, do you, yeah, I'm very, I de- definitely stand to be corrected with that. Um, when, when you've got those main players in and they score a goal like that, do you think that maybe, you know, you don't want to get carried away, but do you think that maybe people are under respecting um, what Ten Hag's done, the kind of influence that he's had on the football, to score goals like that. Because, I mean, everyone after the Arsenal game was saying, oh, United scored goals on the counter-attack. And nobody's really talking about the quality of that Sancho goal. Uh, the finish was good, but the quality of the play before that was excellent. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that there is a lot of respect for what he's done. So, I mean, you don't have to be a United fan to have a look how that team is playing now, the way they set up. You look at you look at yeah the structure of it. You look at the way they're playing. They seem to know what they're doing. There's a pattern of play. Yeah. Um, you see the back four. You look at the the offsides that they're, they're getting as a back four. You look at a clean line. Everyone's in line. No one's dropped back at all. Because yeah. remember how many goals did we did we concede off of predominantly Luke um, Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire on that side where they just didn't have their distances. One was dropping back because there wasn't any trust, belief or organisation in the back four. And that was happening too often. So there is. So what generally happens, what the way Ten Hag has done it, you don't have to be playing well to go out and get something out of a game. You could be having a bad time, but because you know each other, you know each other's strengths and weaknesses. And again, I use that word, continuity. It, would get you, it could get you out of trouble and it could make you dynamic as a team. If things are going well, but if things are going not going well, then all of a sudden you still know what each other and you will just grind the game out. And that first 20 minutes, if he'd have made too many changes in that team, United could have been one or two down. If yeah. he'd have gone out and gone changed his back four, thinking he's just got to give other people a game. It was a bonus. There wasn't that there isn't another game until the a Premier League game until the Man- Manchester Derby. So that helped his decision to give those players a go. And allowed that team to play together, in maybe minus one or two changes, to go into a, you know a really big game against City. So I think he's he's got it he's got it right there. The best he can do, as far as I'm concerned, is to keep that back line together as best you can. I, I mean, you're seeing Varane now, 
and everyone's saying about the games playing no injuries. And I'll say this again: Was Varane really getting injuries prior to um Ten Hag coming? And we know that he got left out of games. But there was times when he's played to think, okay, and then all of a sudden he was injured. But played ninety minutes. I've never known in this in the last five six years of football where so many players get injuries in training. And the yeah. thing about it though is that. I never, I'm sure there isn't many bulldogs around. I mean, how many times did as I can remember the likes of Sir Alex having to tell Paul Ince, uh, Roy Keane, and Mark Hughes to calm down because they're going to injure somebody? Yeah. You know, but you know, I just, I just don't understand yeah. it. I don't know. Is it players who suddenly go? Ah, I don't know. I don't, don't need it. But you know, I just wonder if that's happening for players to get injured so much. And Bran was one of them that played one week and then was left that, oh, he's got a slight this, he's got a slight that. And yeah, I, I find it strange. But now, you're, I'm because I was, if you remember, Wayne, I was very critical of Varane saying he's playing on the periphery. On the periphery. He didn't yeah. really join in. He never, didn't see him doing what he'd done for Real Madrid. Definitely didn't see what he'd done for France. He was a million miles away from that player. Now, I'm seeing that. Now, I'm seeing somebody who maybe set for a little bit of a dodgy period in that first half against Arsenal is a player that I was expecting to see at Old Trafford. And we all know his great strength was to play against a man mountain, a leader in Ramos. Now maybe he's found a man smaller mountain in Martinez or, or Martinez. I think Martinez is the Aston Villa goalkeeper. I think that's him. Um, one of the two anyway. But I just think he might just need something a bit... And I think the amazing thing you'll find is that when you're enjoying it, you want to keep going and going. Yeah. And that's, yeah. why I'm, that's, why I'm, that's why I made the silly decision to keep going and going my ankle, because I got FOMO. So yeah. I just was scared of missing out on, on something, scared of, you know, not being that went, if I just gave it that time and then come back, was I going to get back? And Varane seems that way, like he's, he's enjoying himself and nothing makes you enjoy yourself more than winning games of football and playing well as well. It's the best yeah. best two parts of, of being a footballer. Yeah, and, and for defenders keeping clean sheets, especially in this modern day where everything is so stat-driven and numbers-driven. Yeah, but just can... say that, just one, one little bit as well. There's still people out there, sceptics, saying United could be better with a better goalkeeper. I don't know if there's many better goalkeepers out there, but you look at it, don't you look at David De Gea, you look at his decision-making when the ball comes to him now, it's much better than yeah. what he's doing. There's, you know, everything he's doing, and people can say, let me be a better team, we can go forwards. Well, United are scoring goals. Defensively, they look more assured. It doesn't matter. You're still going to concede goals, but it's a fact of how you score the goals, and is it repetitive if it's poor yeah. decisions you're making all the time? And they're not making poor decisions all the time. And you're never going to be 100% right. It's impossible. Yeah. If you want to score goals and still keep that element of Manchester United, which everyone's aware of, which is part and parcel of Manchester United, what the club's bred on, then you then you expect your defenders to be able to do a job in one-against-one situations because you're going to be quite open. And they are better. David De Gea looks more confident. And everyone keeps wanting to blame him because he's the last line. The moment he gets passed by, that's it. You know, something bad's going to happen nine times out of ten. But you see it now, you, you know how good a shot stopper he is. 
He's having yeah. less. He's having less saves to make now than I think he's had in the last four or five seasons at least. Yeah, and you know you can see you can call out some big ones. I think he he made one against Sociedad, but even if he makes one a game, I mean you look at those games like like you said there. Yes, we concede against Liverpool, but what are you going to do? Liverpool are always likely to score. Yes, you concede against Arsenal, but Arsenal can always score a goal. We would have probably kept a clean sheet against Sociedad if it wasn't for the dodgy pen. We kept clean sheets away at Southampton and Leicester, and we kept a clean sheet um, against Sheriff as well. So, yeah, I mean, it, it bears out for sure. Um, oh, one thing I wanted to ask, Paul, and I, I made the, the observation at the top of the podcast, but I'm pretty sure I know no way you're going to land on this. The postponements, obviously, were against Palace and against um, Leeds. These games are going to be rearranged. Um, they talk about Leeds being rearranged for a midweek game. I don't know where they're going to fit that in. I haven't looked at the calendar, but they're saying on the Champions League night when we don't have a Europa League game, so I don't know when that is. I haven't looked, to be honest, but apparently that's one of the solutions. <laughs> Postponements are only going to be a bad thing on if if United. I mean, if there's going to be like sort of two extra games in this calendar before they break for the winter for for um, Qatar and the World Cup, it's it's going to see a lot more utilization of, of the squad for those league games, which you would have pref- you would have presumed would have seen the first team, and he might be tempted to make changes now. Do you know what I mean for for those league games if they play midfield in, in midweek? Yeah. The strange thing I find. <clears throat> is why didn't they, in that first week after we'd gone a summer without football, in that first week, why wasn't there a midweek game? Why wasn't there any midweek games after that first Premier League fixture at the weekend? It was a wasted week. The championship sides, the the, Div 1, Div 2, that's religion. Those fans know. Those fans know. Whatever they They play Saturday. They know Tuesday, Wednesday, they've got their second league game of the season and not the Premier League because they're worried about managers moaning oh it's too quick they need rest would have had a pre-season to get fit and enough time I find it very strange plus they knew they needed to fill in fill it you know yeah. get games in and maybe now they maybe they might be saying oh we should have used that first week just in case there was anything come up we'd have at least one spare week we could find yeah. space to fit Fit some games in if need be. Lo and behold, it happened. <clears throat> you know, we lose we lose the Queen, and all of a sudden, football for none reason stops that weekend. It should never stop that weekend. Didn't make any sense at all because you always knew yeah. you was going to lose the second, practically lose the second one. So it's, I don't know why they do. You know why they do this. The Premier League. I, I don't know what they're they're trying to do to to not allow any games that weekend when they had the opportunity to still play them. Caught them out, and I think they they was trying to be clever, and they've and they've taken a little bit a massive slap on the wrist from that. Everyone's kind of had a little laugh at the Premier League, thinking you know they're doing by not playing games when every other sport did what they did, and yeah. not playing the game in that first week, Wayne. A second game within that first midweek of the season was absolutely ridiculous. When players just got a little bit of a taste back again, and then bang, they could go and get another one to get their to get their second wins. Of football again. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's going to be complicated for United moving forward. Uh, before we move forward and talk about the next game that United are going to play, I just want to give a very um, big thank you to everyone who's shown a lot of support. Um, on Saturday, we, I put the pre-order live for 
the biography of Duncan Edwards. I say on Saturday, I did it. My, my publishers did it. Um, they, they released the cover and the title for it. I'll put it on screen in a second. Uh, but the support for it has just been incredible. And I know, obviously, it's mostly because Duncan's such a precious figure in United history, but um, still, I'm very, very overwhelmed by it. So the the, the cover is um, here. It's The title's called Eternal, and um, it'll be available in um 2023 and you know the publishers have done a great job everyone's been so supportive and so kind of that and i just hope that the the um way is worth it when when the book comes out um yeah so it's going to be a bit of a wait until united do play again still a couple of weeks paul and they, the next game that they do play is the manchester derby um um i guess that's going to be the the next time we talk will be after that because there's no point previewing the game again next week um they look scary, don't they? And it's not so much... It's, do you know what I find funny about um, the thing we see? When Guardiola first went, they were, everyone was talking about how, how he'd revolutionised the way that they play and everything. And nobody was talking about they've got so much money and blah, blah, blah. And even when he spent £150 million and bought a new goalkeeper to replace the one that he'd bought, and he bought two new fullbacks and a reserve fullback, he spent all this money on these players... And then spent more money on another fullback, and and he's constantly done that. I think at some point people were talking about, oh, the coaching's great, isn't the style of football great? And then people have become less enamoured with the way that they play football. I don't think it's that enjoyable to watch. And then you add in, you've already got this like super rich, super expensively assembled team, and then you add Haaland into it. And you're seeing the expected results. At some point, there's going to be some kind of tipping point where it's the competitiveness of it looks ridiculous. And I think that's what you're seeing now. I think Holland, all right. You still when we when we saw him come into the English league, you've still got that thing of will he be good enough? But he obviously is. He's obviously like he's going to be a generationally top striker. You put him into a setup which is the strongest in the league and in in a weak league in a poor league and it's going to, you know, he's probably going to set all kinds of new goal scoring records. And we, you know, we might be on the back end again, you know, he might score two or three against us probably uh, at least going to get a couple. I, I don't know, Paul. I mean, I, we're not neutral. You've obviously played for United for years. You've, you've won trophies at United. I just, I, I look at it and I think obviously the game itself looks like it's going to be very, very tough because Haaland's so good and De Bruyne's on form and, and you know, They've obviously got an abundance of creative talent. I don't know. Is this the point where the Premier League goes, you know what, it's, I think the spending power is a bit ridiculous now. The league's looking really weak, the way that they were dismantling teams at the moment. Yeah, it is. But I think as far as the Premier League are about it, they're quite happy because of the monetary side of it. Them is great. You know, everyone is told who's... You know, within within their inner cauldron, or anybody outside who's doing their bit for them, wants to call it the greatest league. And I have to laugh, really. It's not the greatest league because it's it's it's, it's no different to how the Liga used to be. Well, used to be up until the last two or three seasons, because of the pandemic, the Italian league has suddenly opened up to you know four or five teams can win that it's so it's very very competitive now the italian league 
which is great in a way. There's no more Juve consistently, consistently all the time. So this league at the moment, it does need it needs something to to make it worthwhile because it's as much as they say supporters, it's it's virtually becoming everyone's going to. I don't know how to describe it, but it's not as competitive as a championship. It's not a case of can you can't yeah. can they do that or can't they do that? Wasn't there a time? And I think I've said it numerous occasions where Manchester United could go to Sellers Park, to Plough Lane, and maybe get beaten. Yeah. And everyone would just talk about the fact of the underdog, talk about them, what they'd done to win it, and what a great time for them. And, and, that's, and that's how football was. You had to be on your guard. <clears throat> you see it now, and virtually it's not that way. I think there's a little bit more fight this season than what there has been in previous seasons. I think that store was set out by Fulham when they should have beaten Liverpool at Craven Cottage and Fulham have gone on to great things since then. So there's definitely a little bit that could be as well because of a World Cup coming up as, as well. So it's amazing. It's going to be interesting what happens over these next few weeks because once we come out of set, once we come out of September, that's all everyone's going to talk about. We'll be talking about players feeling tired. He's got to be rested. All those adages will be all coming out now of people looking for excuses why football this isn't going that way and why that isn't going that way and it's about the team that sets up the right way before they go and I think Pep's got some in his head already where Man City are going to be in a good position a comfortable position that when they come back again on December the 18th to play their Premier you know their first Premier League game or around that time they can, they're just going to go bang again and carry on from where they left off. Other sides will struggle, you know. And I've, I was chatting to someone the other day and I said, in every other sport, major sport in this country, when it comes around to a World Cup, those sports still carry on. They don't stop. Yeah. But yet, in, we've got it through the middle of the season for the first time and it's stopped except for, I think, the first and second division carry on. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, they still carry on, and you, you know, and to be honest, it it might be quite good for them because they just, you know, and obviously the grassroots football, they'll get more people through the turnstile because everyone's going to be on the bars. It's, it's going to be full of international football, which a lot of people don't enjoy. So they're going to be looking for their little bit of football. So, you know, you know, good on them if the clubs down there go and get extra revenue by people coming through their gates because of the Premier League, not you know, not carrying on. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. Um, what what do you make of what I was going on about when I was blathering on about Guardiola and the brand of football? Because obviously, people don't seem to talk about that anymore. They don't talk about City playing beautiful football. They just look at them and just, you know what I mean? They now cross the ball, you know, now they've got a target yeah. man in on. And, you know, the, the old, you know, I'm going to play this way and no other way has sort of gone out of the window, hasn't it? It's just like, all right, we've got all and we'll just play to that. And it just looks like, honestly, sometimes when you watch them play, it looks like a, a professional team looking against playing against a youth team. Like every yeah, single I mean, game that they play. It would be interesting to go and watch maybe two or three of Pep's first season at City and, and then watch watch it now, watch the, watch now, and even to watch his second season as well. Because the one thing Pep would never have when he first started was the, the fact of crossing the ball and the fact of having centre-halves. He wanted midfield players as centre-halves so they could play out in the back. He suddenly realised in the Premier League that works, you know, for a short bit when, when, you got, when you're struggling with injuries, when you bring people in, 
Mascherano at Liverpool comes to mind, how well he'd done in that role. But after a while, you can't because teams will just suddenly change their dynamic to, to go against your weaknesses, and that's what teams done. But you look at him now, and his field berths all over the place. Now he's getting injuries to centre-halves again, but he's able now because he's got quite a few centre-halves within his squad to be able to fill that where he couldn't do that before. Yeah. But you're seeing Haaland, like you say, now they're crossing the ball. They're still not just slinging it in. Everything is cultured, everything is planned, and they're still looking to hit the man rather than areas. But the one thing is they know that man will cover all the areas to do that. And that's why I t when I chat to people and everyone talks about Haaland and and they talk about, ah, oh, but if Kane, I turn around, if Kane had been there, for, you know, last season, they could have won a Champions League. I turn around and say to people, Kane was never going there. Pep was never going to buy Kane. Kane was not what he wanted. Kane wants to be De Bruyne. That's the way yeah. Kane plays. Kane is not going to run across the first run across the first man at near post to put a header in. Kane is not going to attack the, the far post, looking to go with his head, you know, putting his body on the line to get there to score a goal. He wanted a different a different striker. He wanted someone who's going to score in a six-yard box. He wanted an Aguero, yeah. and he's got that. And he wanted someone, if a team did hold a high line, someone who could run in behind, and Harlan can run behind. The thing about it as well, if anyone's on his shoulder, the only way you're going to stop him is foul him, because you're yeah. not just going to... And the thing about it, he is never going to go down unless he is generally fouled. We saw that at the weekend's. He will just keep going and going and going. So be interesting um, when the derby game comes up, because I look at where he plays and he likes to play. He'll be playing up against Varane. That's yeah. that's where most that's most of it. He goes from there, and then he goes. Then he looks to go in between the two set and a half. That's his run. Now Martinez is going. Those two are going to have to play very very close together because Varane is going to need Martinez. He's yeah. going to need someone around him, and I don't know how he's going to deal with this. The last thing you want is Scott McTominay going anywhere near him because Scott McTominay will get sent off because Scott McTominay hasn't got any defensive di um, discipline. You know, everything yeah. about him is just kick him, and if you don't kick him, pull him down. So um, you need someone with a little bit more guile to stop the ball getting there, someone who will try to nick it off the toe, someone who will work around the front of him and be very how they play. Maybe Ericsson can maybe do that, just to slow down his run, an opportunity to get that run. So Ten Hag has got a lot of work to do to think about how he's going to stop the threat. He's not going to stop it 100%. That's impossible. He will have his moment, but it's to lessen the load on the yeah. back foot, on the, on the two centre-halves. Yeah, it's going to be, like I said, I think especially in this first season under Tenago, the first few months at least, you know, we were all a bit worried the first couple of games when he was playing a lot of the same players that, you know, that, that played last season and we were wondering when he was going to make the changes. And he's made those changes and, you know, by and large, they're doing well at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see. How because he's obviously going to want to play something of his own philosophy against City, so you know, like some ball retention, but that's difficult against City because they're so stifling on the ball. Um, it is going to be interesting to see what he does with this collection of players against City, and like I said, against Haaland. Um, Martinez did very well against him in the head to heads that they've played before, by all accounts, you know, 
I um, I don't I'm not sure that I saw those games, but everyone tells me that you know he did well against him. So, but yeah. like I said, he's probably going to operate on the side that Varane's playing at. And um, yeah, no, maybe know, maybe um maybe Martinez Wayne is a, a bit like myself when I played the middle. He got most of his joy playing up against the bigger fella rather than anybody around his own stamp with a little bit of yeah. change of pace. I never enjoyed it. I enjoyed going against the bigger because it was a challenge. And we've yeah. already seen already that man loves a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> He's definitely going to have one against City for sure. Um, that will be when we're back um, to talk about the result of that game and the performance there. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please give us uh, a rating and review on the podcast uh, provider that you're listening on. And give us a like and subscribe on YouTube as well. Um, that's it for this week, guys. Thanks a lot for watching. Thanks a lot for listening. And we will be back in a couple of weeks to talk about United's uh, trip to Manchester City, however that goes down. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club. Because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.